Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel. And he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For Sean 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face. I mean, just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face. Probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem. And she would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mon. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight is we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible and lays on the pulpit, it's a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. For giving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose. 
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, instrumentalist, thank you so much. Uh, for singing this morning, and uh, praise God for His goodness, uh, praise God that we can sing, and uh, God put a new song in our heart, uh, some of you could testify this morning that before you got saved, you had a different song in your heart, and uh, it wasn't a song of praise, it was a song of darkness, it was a song of hurt and pain, and praise God for the gospel, and the gospel is the answer the world needs today. And uh, looking forward to uh, the goodness of God that we're going to experience this morning through His Word. And uh, looking forward as well uh, to special music. 
Brother Joel, if you want to come, he's going to come and uh, sing for us a special before uh, the message this morning. And be praying for his wife and baby and mom. They're flying back here pretty soon. Uh, be, pl- be praying that Joy doesn't kill him because of his scheduling plans for that. And, of course, there, Joy and Will are taking off to the Philippines this Saturday, right? This Friday night, they're taking off. Be praying for them. And uh, as he's coming, let me remind you to be praying for many that are sick. Uh, I got a message from Brother Darren yesterday. He said he had the plague. And uh, today he said he thinks he might live. He's going to survive. But he's sick. Of course, we have several folks out sick today. Brother Mark is sick. Uh, Many folks not able to be here. Be praying for those uh, that aren't with us today. And I sure appreciate the opportunity we have to gather and to praise him, to sing, and look at his word. Brother Joel. Stand beside the heroes of the
and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the land who was slain forever he shall Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. By the way, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. The God-haters will one day bow their knee and say, Holy is the Lord. Those that fought against the gospel, those that hate our God, one day will worship Him. Our prayer ought to be that before that day comes, that we can share the gospel with them that they may know him as their God and their king. Can I tell you that judgment is coming. It is full and it will be final. I was reminded, thinking of Noah the other day when Noah built the ark. By the way, Noah didn't build that ark in a couple of days. He was building the ark over a long period of time. God did not call Noah, Noah the ark builder. If we find God's commendation of Noah and what God called Noah, he called Noah a preacher of righteousness. Noah built the ark, but can I tell you that more than Noah built the ark, he preached the righteousness of God. Why? Because judgment was coming. Noah was building the ark that would encapsulate and be the safety for everyone from God's judgment. That's why he preached the righteousness of God. Can I tell you that judgment's coming on this world? One day it will be too late to get in the ark of Jesus Christ. One day it will be too late for that knock to be on your heart's door. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. One day he's going to walk away. One day that door will not open. Just as the ark one day had the door shut by God. Turn your Bibles with me here to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 24 this morning. It's a shame Brother Darren's not here today. This, this message really applies to him. The title this morning is How to Behave in Church. And how many of you know somebody sitting around you that needs to learn how to behave? Make sure they pay attention. Uh, uh, Maude, can you make sure Jeff listens this morning? And uh, John, you look up here, okay? Pay attention. And they're going to talk to you this morning about how to behave yourself in church. Look at 2 Timothy with me. Chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Praise God for that. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we worship you for your holiness. We praise you for who you are. We praise you as well this morning for what you've done. Lord, for your great salvation. Lord, this morning we ask you to use your perfect word, the Bible, preserved for us today, alive, powerful, sharp, piercing. Lord, would you use it to help us? Lord, I pray you give us practical application of truth today. God, would you be with my mind and my heart? God, would you give me the words to say, give me your spirit, your power. Lord, that I might preach and teach you right your truth. Lord, most of all, my prayer is today, Lord, that we would be able to lift you up. Lord, you said if you'd be lifted up, you'd draw all men to yourself. Lord, as I preached Wednesday night, Lord, as I saw Philip, as Philip went from the book of Isaiah and pointed the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus Christ, God, would you help us this morning to point everyone here in this place Everyone listening by way of live stream, those that will listen later as well, Lord, would you help us to point every person to Jesus Christ. Help us now, Lord. May your will be done in every heart and every life. In your precious name we pray and ask it all. Amen. We use the title this morning, How to Behave Yourself in Church. We know that Timothy was giving given the encouragement by Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he knew how to behave himself in the house of God. This morning I want to think about that a bit. Before I do, I want to share a bit of an illustration, a thought with you. How many of you remember when you were little? Those of you that grew up in church, I know some of you did not grow up going to church, but 
There are some of you that, you know, some of your earliest memories are in church. My, my children, uh, when they, as soon as they came home from the hospital, they were in church. Uh, Rebecca, uh, I would say less than a week and a half after she was born, she was in the church. She was in church. Uh, our girls have been their whole life uh, in church. Some of you like that. You grew up in church. Some of you remember uh, when it became time for you to sit in the auditorium, maybe. And how many of you remember mom giving you that look when you misbehaved? Do you remember that? And, and then it was worse when dad, you knew it, you were in trouble. Uh, you knew that you were misbehaving. Uh, and you heard those words, hey, behave yourself. Maybe, Dad, you were the one who heard the words from your wife. Hey, behave yourself. How I many that was you? But I want to talk this morning not how to behave ourselves as we sit and listen to the congregation. I, I want us to, to know how to behave ourselves as we come together, as we church together, as we assemble ourselves together in the local church. How God would want us to behave ourselves, what God would want us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Bible tells us, Let all things be done decently and in order. This morning we had some wonderful music. We sang, we had special music. During our congregational singing, we had uh, Phoebe playing the piano. We had others playing other instruments, and you were singing. Now, I praise God that uh, the same notes that Phoebe was playing, the instrumentalists were playing. Imagine, if you will, if, if they decided, but the Cosme decided he was going to play a different tune uh, than what they were playing. Or maybe uh, Esther thought, man, I don't like my sister today. I'm going to play something else to try to mess her up. Uh, that dissonance would cause some problems. Uh, it wouldn't work well together. The Bible says let everything be done decently and in order. And I believe God has a plan. God has an order as we've been working on our building project, we have laid out on a table upstairs, we have the blueprints. And many times in the last two weeks, I've gone and looked and said, okay, how do we have to do this? What, what do the plans say? Why? Because they matter. But they don't matter nearly as much as God's plan matters. They don't matter nearly as much as God's purpose for you and God's purpose for me matters. God has a pattern for us as local church, and God has a pattern for you and I as we interact how we should do so. The Bible says in verse 20, look in our text in 2 Timothy 2, verse 20, but in a, I want you to notice the phrase here, a great house. I grew up just down the road from a mansion. Uh, Brother Jim, you guys have driven past there. I'm massive place massive and it's an old plantation home giant plantation mansion uh, then out beside there's uh, other little houses which uh, do not have as beautiful a history as the rest of them uh, there's some other housing there part of there off off from the main house that used to be the old slaves quarters uh, it's an old old property huge huge massive place the very first time that my wife came to my family's home, my dad and I drove over to Ohio, and we went to pick her up at her parents' home. We got in the car with us, and she was coming over. It was Thanksgiving Day, and we're coming over in the evening for Thanksgiving to have a Thanksgiving meal at my parents' home, and she'd never 
seen my parents' house. She never knew nothing about it. And as we're driving along about a mile before we got to the Shadow, used to be the Shadow Farm, the old big plantation house, I thought to myself, man, we blew it. I should have messed with her. I told Dad later how funny would it have been had we just pulled into that property. And she would have gone, I think I won the lotto. <laughs> what a big house. But that's not where I took her. <laughs> we went about a mile and a half down the road and uh, turned up the hill to a, a double-wide mobile home where I grew up, a little different than the big giant mansion house down the road. Well, the Bible speaks of a great house here. I want you to understand the, the picture here. God is speaking about the local church and how wonderful it is a great plan that God has for us to gather together. But I want to talk to you about how to behave. And, and as we talk about how to behave, number one, I want to talk to you about things to avoid in church. Number one, as we think about how we ought to avoid, what we ought to avoid, uh, we need to avoid those who are snoopers, gossipers, busybodies, busy slanderers. Verse 21 of our text says, If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared to every good work. Now, the Bible speaks of a vessel. In my parents' home, I think still, they have, my mother has an old aluminum roasting pan. And it's old, 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 old. It was her Aunt Plumes, I believe. My mom will watch this service later and tell me if I got it right or not. But she never used it. She didn't like it. And her mom had given it to her, and when I was a, a young teenager, I saw it out in our garage, and I had beagle dogs, and I needed a food dish for my beagle dogs. And we didn't have a dollar store, we had the garage. Uh, so I went out in the garage, I saw that aluminum roasting pan, I took it, I put it out in my kennel for my dogs, and I filled it full of sunshine dog food, the cheapest dog food made. And I fed my dogs out of that bowl. For several years. Now it was my mom's aunt's roasting pan. She wasn't using it. She didn't want it. I asked. I said, hey, do you? No, you take it out there. You do what you want with it. I got rid of those dogs when I was about 17 or 18 years old. The kennel, the grasses and weeds grew up inside that kennel. It was just left, it was abandoned behind the building the back of the farm there. One day, my grandmother was walking by, and she looked through the weeds, and she saw there in the kennel, where it had been for years, she saw that roasting pan. My grandmother went in, climbed into the kennel, got that pan, <laughs> took it home, Washed it, cleaned it, scrubbed it, brought it over to my mother. And she said, I found this outside. Brian, put this out there. I know you want to use it, so I cleaned it up and I brought it back to you. Now, I could be wrong, but I doubt my mom has ever used that pan. She wasn't using it before I got it. She probably didn't use it after her mom cleaned it up. I gave it back to her. It's been a lot of years. Now, that vessel could have been used for cooking, but I used it for dog food. I, it was nasty. 
I'm sure, after all those years. But as we think about vessels, you and I are vessels. I could take this coffee cup right here that has beautiful, wonderful coffee in it. But I could fill it full of poison. I could use it to clean out a nasty spot somewhere. You can put whatever you want inside of that cup. It's just a vessel. It's what goes in the vessel that makes it unto honor or dishonor. And Christian, you and I need to be vessels unto honor. That means we need to avoid having the wrong thing in our vessel. We need to avoid having corruption get into our vessel if we're to be vessels of honor. It says in verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Verse 19, we see the words there, to depart from iniquity. Verse 21, we see the words, purge himself from these. Now, that word, purge himself from these, what is that referring to? What are those these? What are those things? We see them back in verse 19. Knowing that everyone uh, that nameth the name of Christ depart from, notice the last verse of verse 19, iniquity. Verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these. We're talking about iniquity. Talking about things of dishonor. Talking about things that are not right, that are not holy, that are not righteous, that are not on the blueprint of God's plan for you and God's plan for me and how God wants to use us. I want you to notice four verbs here before we get really into the meat of the message this morning. Verse 21, notice the word purge. Purge. Verse 22, I want you to notice the very first word. Flee. That means get away from real fast. That means take off right now. Get out of there. Verse 23. Avoid. That means don't go around it. Get away from it. Avoid. Notice verse 24. Not strive. Not strive. I'm to purge, flee, avoid, and not strive with iniquity. There are some things that if I'm to be a vessel unto honor that I have to avoid. Number one, I said we need to avoid those who are snoopers, gossipers, busybodies, slanderers. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Nowadays, from uh, social media to social media. Uh, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking of things they ought not. Christian, we need to learn how to behave ourselves. We need to learn to avoid that kind of behavior and avoid spending time around those folks that follow that kind of behavior. Why? That we get not iniquity in our vessel. The word tattler uh, that we see there in that passage uh, speaks of someone who, who tells that which they should not tell. Sharing things they should not share. 
repeating things they should not repeat. Busybody talking about one who, who bubbles over and meddling, just looking forward uh, to find a way to meddle in other people's lives, other people's situations. Second Thessalonians says in chapter 3 and verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Disorderly. Working not at all, but are busybodies. Can I tell you, often the one that does the least talks the most. The one that is involved the least causes the most problems. Why? Because they work not at all. They work not at all. How many of you remember the, uh, the old uh, TV show, uh, and, and don't, 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 uh, you can label me carnal if you want, the old TV show Bewitched. I know it was a horrible show because it was about a witch. Uh, remember across the street in the old, that old TV show from the 50s or 60s, Mrs. Kravitz? How many of you remember Mrs. Kravitz? The poor little lady who'd look out and see all the things that nobody believed, and she'd tell her husband, and her husband would say, Sure it did. When my wife and I got married, I was in Bible college. I was taking courses. I was working a full-time job in the secular world. I was working about 20 hours a week, volunteer in the ministry of our local church. Now you start adding that up, uh, 10, 12, 15 hours of Bible college, 40, 40 to 50 hours secular work, uh, 20, 30 hours of volunteer work in a local church, and you'll probably figure out that I wasn't home very much. I left early in the morning, I went to work, I came home, when I got home, my, my beautiful wife would have a meal ready for me, and... That's why she created the mass you see before you. And I would literally get home, and, and she'll tell you, you can ask her later. I'm probably not even describing it as, as well as I ought. I literally would walk in the door. I would run and take a shower, jump out of the shower, sit down at the table, eat. I had about five minutes to eat supper, and I would eat all of it in five minutes. And then I would, I would walk out the door to go to classes. I'd get home about 11 o'clock at night spend a little bit of time with my wife, and then back at it again four or five the next morning. That was every day of the world. That was my life every day. I wasn't home much. My wife was alone a lot. And I started calling her Mrs. Kravitz because, bear with me, don't, 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 don't hang me yet, because she was there alone. She knew everything that went on in the trailer park we lived in. I get home when little time we saw together, she'd, she'd fill me in. Uh, she'd tell me, you know why? She saw what happened. I mean, she was there. She'd look out the window. Oh yeah, our neighbors did this. I remember one day I was taking a shower one morning. I looked and uh, it was about three or four in the morning. I was taking a shower, looked out the little window in our little trailer bathroom, <laughs> the shower, and the window was open and. I could see light glowing uh, through the frosted window in the neighbor's bathroom, and, and I could see the shape of the plant they had there in the window behind the light. Uh, it had palmated leaves. Uh, maybe you've seen them. It's called marijuana. And it wasn't legal then. Uh, called the, 
Well, they, we got a grow up next door to us. My wife knew everything. She knew what was going on, why she was there. Now, one way that she wasn't like Mrs. Kravitz, she didn't tell anybody else except me. But so often, when we're not engaged and we have too much time on our hand, we get involved in things we ought not be involved in. And we cross that line into those things that we ought to avoid. And sadly, even in a great house, we have vessels unto dishonor, the Bible says. And we need to be careful to avoid those that we keep our vessel clean, to avoid those things that dishonor. So often we, instead of avoiding, we're drawn to things we ought not be drawn to. We're become like those around us that are not like Jesus Christ. Titus 2 verse 5 says, These things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. That's Titus 2.15. Titus 3.1, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready in every good work. And I want you to listen to this verse in Titus chapter 3 and verse 2. To speak evil of no man. By the way, that's God's word. That's, that's not the opinion of man. To speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Can I tell you how most Christians, how we diagnose and apply verse 2? We think it says, speak no evil unless the evil you speak is truth. That's not what God's word says. It says, speak no evil. Speak no evil of any kind, even if it's the truth. We need to be vessels of honor. How we ought to behave in a local church is we ought to avoid some things we ought to avoid. Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, the edifying, the building up, the helping of the body of Christ, not the tearing down. As you study to be 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Study to be quiet. We have to study to do that. It's a struggle for us. That you do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Philippians 2, 4, 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Leviticus 19, 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shall thou stand against the blood of the neighbor. I am the Lord. Number two, this morning, we need to avoid those who are, those who are slothful, sluggards. Romans 12, verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's been said that 5% do 95% of all the work. When we think about the gospel going forth around the world, those that would truly name the name of Christ and say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, if you look across our great country, maybe, and these numbers may be off, maybe 5% of the crowd that would say, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have anything to do 
was propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a great work to do. We need to avoid a falling into the pitfall of laziness. We need to avoid falling into the pitfall. If I've got a vessel, that vessel is meant to be used. Not set on a shelf in a garage so your son can take it and feed the dogs with it. It's meant to be used. That's why my grandmother, when she saw that vessel out there in the dog run, said, hey, i got to get that. i got to clean it up. i got to give it back because it needs to be in use. Christian, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. You have no business sitting on a shelf. You have no business hiding in a cupboard somewhere. And by the way, when you spend time around and are drawn to those who do nothing, we become vessels of dishonor. Vessels of dishonor. A German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who was executed by the Nazis because of his testimony, made this statement. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To follow Jesus, no matter the cost, is the way of the cross. No matter the cost. No matter the cost. I believe, and I've, I've got to hurry here this morning, but I believe as a country, we've produced two or three lazy generations. We've got to the point where we expect others to serve us. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. How many have ever seen the people hold the sign, we'll work for food? You seen those signs? I'm not sure how many of you have done the experiment that I've done, but I've done this many times over the years. I've pulled up beside of those folks with signs that say, we'll work for food. I remember when I was in Gary, Indiana, working, I had a construction business. I'd pull up beside the guys, the signs, we'll work for food. I'd say, hey, get in the back of the truck. What? Get in the back of the truck. I got a bunch of junk. We got to load in this truck and haul the dump. Get in the back of the truck. You give me a hand, I'll take you and buy you a meal. Can I tell you how many people got in the back of my truck? Zero. Guarantee you were over 50 times I stopped and said, hey, you want to work? I'll put you to work for a few hours. I'll feed you. No. I'm not saying there aren't people looking for work. I'm saying, though, most people are lazy. Our, our culture has produced a lazy generation. And by the way, not only on the street corner, on the church pew in the local church. We need to avoid that slothfulness, that laziness. We need to realize God wants us to be laboring. God wants us to serve and serve us. Number three, how do we behave ourselves to be a vessel of honor? Number three, we need to avoid those who exalt self. Avoid those who exalt self. You ever read about the devil? I'm not talking about a, a guy in a red suit and horny, horny horns and a pitchfork. I'm talking about the real devil. I'm talking about the angel that was cast out of heaven. I'm talking about the prince and the power of the air who is very powerful. He's not a, he's not a comic relief character. The real devil. The Bible says of the real devil, he said, I will be like the Most High. I will exalt myself. I will have my throne above. I, 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 the devil, had an eye problem. 
And I'm afraid a lot of people today have an eye problem. We want to lift us up. We want to make it about us. Christian, we need to avoid those who make everything about themselves. My, mine. Someone once said you need not so think so highly of yourself because you're not really all that great. I think they said that to me. Romans 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to the God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. The story is told about an eagle perched on a block of ice just above Niagara Falls. A swift current carried the ice and its majestic passenger the bald eagle closer to the edge of the great precipice. The cries of the other birds and animals warning the eagle of the danger was to no avail. I have great and powerful wings, the eagle boasted. I can fly from my perch at any time. I can handle it. Suddenly, the edge of the falls was only a few feet away. The torrent of water rushed the block of ice over the great falls. The eagle stretched out its mighty wings to mount over the impending doom only to discover too late that its claws had become frozen to the block of ice. It was too late. It was too late. Winston Churchill knew that public favor was no proof of real success. Once Mr. Churchill gave a speech. At that place where he gave a speech were 10,000 people. A friend of Mr. Churchill looked at him and asked, Winston, aren't you impressed? 10,000 people came to hear you speak today. Mr. Churchill, a very unique man, replied, not really. I'm not impressed because 100,000 would come to see me hang. Can I tell you, so often we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We ought to behave ourselves by avoiding those who exalt self. We need to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, quickly, we need to avoid those who spread strife. Avoid those who spread strife. 2 Timothy 2 verse 23 says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Knowing they do gender strife, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle and patient unto all men apt to teach patience. Christian, God didn't call you to argue. You're not God's apologi- uh, apologist. You don't, God didn't call you to set people straight. That's not your calling. I don't care who you are here this morning. That's not your calling because no one has been called to do that. We've been called to proclaim the truth. We've not been proclaimed to fix people. God didn't call you to argue. God called you to proclaim the truth. You know what God does? God, God has a plan for us to be vessels in the honor but oftentimes we become in a dishonor when we get off course. There's some really, really, really wonderfully gifted, amazing servants of Christ 
that I know personally who have gotten off track. And they're sitting in a shelf, not being used for what God wants them for. Because all they want to do is argue and fix people. I'm talking about gifted, gifted men. But they're useless to God. Because they have gone to the point where their only goal in life is to spread strife. We need to behave ourselves by avoiding that kind of situation, that kind of those people that would lead us off that course. First Peter says, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace. Seek peace. Romans 13, 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. Galatians 5, 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatreds, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies. Philippians 2 says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. James 3, 14, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. James 3.16, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. The Bible speaks very, very much condemnation against strife. How do we behave ourselves? We need to avoid that attitude. We need to avoid those and stay away from those that would cause us to be filled with iniquity. But I want to give you very, very quickly some things we need to look for. How do we behave ourselves? There's some things we need to avoid. There's also some things we need to look for. Number five, we need to look to interact with those that display the fruit of the Spirit. Christian, can I encourage you that we need to look for those that are displaying the fruit of the Spirit and those are the folks that we need to spend time with. Those are the folks that we, wanna, we want to be splashing over into our vessel. We want to be vessels of honor, not dishonor. Galatians 5, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against us there's no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Look to interact with those who are displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Number six, look to interact with those whose burden you can bear. By the way, this is, this is not the world's philosophy. The world's philosophy is look for somebody who can lift your burden. The world's philosophy is look for somebody who can, who can carry you. But Christian, we should be looking for others whose burdens we can bear, who we can labor with. Galatians 6 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we're looking for someone to bear our burdens, it's very easy for us to become a vessel of honor, of dishonor. But God wants to use us, our life, as a vessel of to help other people, a vessel to meet the needs of others. Number seven, and I'll close with this thought this morning. How do we behave? Be the kind of person that others should look to interact with. If, As people look in the Word of God and find God's plan, we should seek to be the kind of people that others would want to interact with. I read for you Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Therefore, all things 
Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The world calls that the golden rule. God says it's the definition of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. It's that we seek to do what we can. What we wish others would do for us. Every one of us have been to a place where we've had a need. And we thought, man, I wish someone would do that for my need. Christian, can I tell you how to behave in the local church? Grow beyond that to say, I, I want to be what I need. I want to be that for somebody else. I, I want to help meet someone else's need. I want God to use my vessel. I want God to use me. I want to be the one that God can use to help somebody else. As we close, I think of the little boy who had the bread and fish. Probably in a basket, maybe in a bag. But he took his vessel and he gave it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God took what was in his vessel. And he made it go further than he could make it go on himself. Christian, God can take you as a vessel. And God can do with you beyond what you can do. May we understand how we ought to behave. By the way, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, can I point you to him this morning? Can I tell you that Jesus is the answer? Can I tell you, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, if you don't know Christ, may I encourage you to get to know Him. May I encourage you that He loved you. He died for you, was buried, and rose again, that you can call on Him Christian. May we behave ourselves to be vessels of honor. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be encouraged and challenged. Lord, as I think of that old aluminum roasting pan, in the weeds, covered in filth and mold and dirt. Lord, a vessel that was made to be used for much more than that. Lord, in that picture I see many Christians. Lord, I see myself at times. Lord, you want us to be vessels of honor. But Lord, sometimes we don't behave ourselves as we ought. We get too close to those things we ought not be around. And we're affected by the iniquity. Lord, I pray this morning that maybe some of us, like that dirty old pan, would run to 1 John 1, 9. Confess our sins. Lord, knowing you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Lord, that we would yield to be a vessel of honor. That we would seek to behave and honor you in our life. Lord, I pray if there's one here that knows you not as Savior. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would come. That they would come to know that you love them. They would understand the 
the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we call upon you, believing, receiving the gospel. Lord, may that be the case. God, would you work in hearts today. God, help us as we endeavor to be vessels of honor. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me as we sing.